we're walking into. That you are beside us, you always will be, you always have been when we have known you. And God, we celebrate that. Remind us this week of those occasions when you are walking right beside us. Or more importantly, Lord, let us be knowledgeable that we are walking beside you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Hey, slap high five across the aisle and then you may have a seat. All right. Hey, great to have you here. My name is Pastor Brad, senior pastor here at First Baptist Church, and uh, thanks for being with us today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Daniel chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one underneath the chair uh, right in front of you or upstairs up in those pews. Uh, We have been going through book by book through the book of Daniel. Some of you will scratch your head and say, hey, you skipped over chapter 5. I did. Um, We just cannot get them all in in the course of this series. Uh, You can go and read that on your own. Maybe sometime I'll kind of swing back around and pick that up later on in the year. Um, But we're into Daniel chapter 6 now. Uh, And then we have one more uh, message in this series. I'm going to take Daniel 7 through 12 next week. And so if you want to kind of look ahead, um, you can read that together. Uh, But um, the passage I am preaching today, let me just say this. The passage I'm preaching today is one of the toughest passages to preach in church. You say, well, why is that, Pastor Brad? Because most of you have heard this story before. Most of you have read this story before. And most of you are probably saying, what do I got to learn about Daniel in the lion's den? And most of you have probably seen it, you know, if you were little and you grew up in church, maybe the Sunday school teacher put it up on the flannel board, and you know, here's the lion, here's the den, covers it in. Yeah, okay, I'm seeing some nodding of some head there. If you're a little younger, um, or now I guess if you're early adulthood, maybe you watched it on Veggie Tales, right? So you, you know the story there. Uh, maybe your grandmother, maybe your mother, your father told you the story. It, it's one of those universal known stories that I like to call, it has the the Pledge of Allegiance factor, okay? If you don't know what that is, that's when you go to a sporting event or another event with an assembly type of thing, and they say, okay, would you stand and pledge the flag? And so you put your uh, hand on your heart, and you start saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag, United States of America, and to the Republic, and pretty soon you're just reciting words without really thinking about what you're saying, without really thinking about what those words mean. And as you come in here today and you hear this, oh, it's Daniel in the lion's den, I'm sure some of you are like, yeah, what do we have to uh, uh, learn on this one? I've got this one covered, uh, to which I would say not so fast. Because there's some valuable lessons in the midst of this story, and most of the time we miss some very simple points. Let me illustrate What is the story most commonly called? Okay, what is it called? You might even have it written at the top of this paragraph in your Bible. But what's it called? Daniel in the lion. Yeah, it's most often called Daniel in the lion's den, right? But did you know by the time we finish Daniel chapter 6, we've been Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, we would have read over 200 verses about Daniel outside the lion's den. And zero verses about Daniel 
inside. Whoa, you want to come up here and preach? Come on. Yeah. Good. Fill in the gap. Sounds good. Daniel, inside the lion's den. Absolutely. Thank you for filling that in for me. Yeah, we, we, we don't see anything about what he did inside the lion's den. In fact, there's just one verse total that he shouts out from being in the lion's den that we even read about. And so the point of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den, is really the way Daniel lives before he is thrown in the lion's den. The point isn't about when Daniel um, goes through this major life crisis or event has happened to him. Um, He did the same thing he always did before the crisis came about. And so Daniel chapter 6 is really a story of God's faithfulness to us that shines when we are constantly faithful to him. What is it about? It's about Daniel before the lion's den, not actually Daniel in the lion's den. So with that understanding, let me kind of set the story. In Daniel chapter 6, we find Daniel now as an older man. He is 83 years old. So I'm not sure how you have it in your mind from your veggie tales or from the flannel graph. Okay, he is an older dude now. He's 83 years old. And we know this because historically he was under King Nebuchadnezzar. He was under King Belshazzar. And now he's under King Darius. And back in Daniel chapter 1, just about a month ago when I started this series, remember we started talking with him about the fact that he was tempted to compromise the food that he was eating? He was 15 years old at that time. And now he's 83 years old. Which, by the way, what does that teach us? It teaches us the pressure to compromise your values never stops. How many of you remember when you were 15 and there was some sort of pressure to compromise or to give in to temptation? Any of you there? Right? Can you remember back to 15, some of you down here, right? And up there, right? It never stops. At age 83, Daniel is facing some of the same temptations. The culture is continuing to try and chop him down. So let me jump into the story. The Persians have now taken over Babylon, and Daniel's again seen as a wise and a great leader. And so it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, Now Daniel was distinguished, uh, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But, listen to this, where there is success, there is also jealousy from those who are passed over for that promotion, right? Watch what happens in verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. My goodness, does this not sound like 2018 in the week we just went through? In the news, right? Brett Kavanaugh up for nomination to the Supreme Court, and so many people trying to find fault with him, so many people trying to tear him down, so many people trying to get above him and cause us not to be the one that perhaps we pray that God's hand is on to be a good leader, a great leader in our Supreme Court. 
It's happening back here three, 4,000 years before. It goes on to say, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So, what do ruthless people do when they can't find any dirt on you? They create traps. And they create situations where you may fail. And so the, the, the henchmen kind of come around the king, and they kind of butter him up, and they begin to say, you know what, king, there is no one greater than you, right? And the king says, of course, keep talking, keep talking. So shouldn't there be a law, O great king, that if anyone prays to anyone, any higher power than you are, shouldn't there be a law that they would be thrown into the lion's den because they knew this is what Daniel did? And in verse 7, it says that they made the plan that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And the king says, sounds good to me, make it law, not really thinking through this was aimed directly at Daniel, target on his back which sets up the main theme of this section for Daniel. You see it on the outline. I wrote down three choices that create courage. Three choices that create courage. See, here's the deal. Many people don't mind kind of looking forward to a Daniel and the lion's den type of experience. I think men are kind of this conqueror kind of people too. It's like, yeah, bring it on. You know, Braveheart, freedom kind of thing, right? Yeah, let's do it. Uh-huh, let's go for this. But if you really want this, the point of the story isn't to be like Daniel in the lion's den. It's to be like Daniel before the lion's den. And so the first choice to make before you come close to this lion's den type of experience is to, number one, choose convictions over comfort. Choose your convictions over comfort. Now, most of us would probably love to say, well, can I have both? Yeah, I would love for us to have both as well. Some of you may remember Decades ago, when perhaps our culture was much more Christian, and you could have both, it is a struggle now, and it is only getting worse. I and mean, we've talked about this over the last month or so with AB 2943 attempting to be passed um, and the introduction that people cannot teach about people who are having struggles with homosexuality and knowing their gender, that the scriptural way of saying it's one man and one woman uh, in marriage and redefining marriage, that's already changed in our land. But this new law that we've talked about, and, and it's, been, it's been held off for now, but you think of the ramifications of that, that if someone is a Christian counselor and wants to help somebody take their steps, that they were told they cannot teach Christian principles. They cannot teach biblical principles if they are paying for that service. It, 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 it's a horrible law, and yet that was almost reality here in California. And, and as I've said in the last few, few weeks, um, yes, it's been repealed for an hour. Yes, it did not go through, but the target is still coming. It is still planning to be introduced. And the Christian church needs to step up, and we need to let people know that that is a horrible way to take steps, to have some sort of, of, of evolving views, because that's really what it is. I don't know if many of you remember back in uh, when President Barack Obama took office. 
back in, uh, what year was that, 2008. He came in, and I, and I went back and I watched this, uh, his, his views on homosexuality were, no, I believe, one man, one woman uh, in marriage, and that's the way it should be. I, I believe what the Bible says about that. And then on, um, I think it was May of 2012, his, evolve, his views evolved. They changed. And his personal convictions trumped what the Bible said. And I didn't mean to throw in the name Obama and Trump, okay? So forgive me on that one, all right? I, I, let's not go there, okay? But they did. They, they, they reigned over what the Bible says. And you remember when even uh, the law was passed for homosexual marriages were okay. The, remember the pictures of the White House all lit up with rainbow lights and such? When he was asked about this, here's what he said. He said, my views have evolved. My views have evolved to which, you know, I got to thinking about that. Wouldn't that be fun to just to get to say that at any point, any time when you wanted to do something the way that you think it should be done? Right? Like, like uh, stealing's okay now, or, or murder is okay now, or lying. You know, my views kind of evolved on that one. I'm just kind of saying what I want to say, right? right? Wouldn't it be great to be able to have your views evolve on whatever you like? You know, I just don't feel like only loving my wife now. I think I'll have a relationship. I think I'll have an affair. My views have kind of evolved on that, Or it's football season now. Instead of being a good father and being with my family and being around them, I'll just kind of put family on hold for football season, right? So I can go home, just kind of kick up my shoes, kick up my feet, and just watch all day long. That's my view now. So that's postmodernism to a T, folks. Whatever I say is truth is truth. And to realize we're in a culture that lives that way, that's why more than ever we have to say, no, what is truth? And that truth is something outside of us. There needs to be a foundation. There needs to be a rock. There needs to be a basis to say, this is the truth. And that's what we believe here at First Baptist. If you are a Christian, if you say that you're a Christian, then you also need to uphold this is God's word and find out what it says and live by it, not begin to say, well, my views have evolved, my views have changed, because otherwise you're going through and you're picking out verses to say, I don't really like that one, so I'm going to just kind of tear that one out and throw that away. Or this one, yeah, this one's good because I like that. We don't get to choose. It's written for us. But we do need to stick to it, and we do need to put our lives upon it, and we do need to say, that is my, quote-unquote, trump card, um, as we've talked about that over the last number of weeks. And our culture is making that harder and harder and harder to do. Many of you remember, two, three, four years ago, um, there was a case up in Oregon where a couple asked uh, uh, someone who made cakes uh, to make the cake for their gay wedding. And he said, no, I I have convictions about that. I do not want to do that. And the government came in and said, hold on, then you can't have your business. Remember that? Remember that? That was fortunately, fortunately overturned 
by the Supreme Court, and they said, no, those convictions can be withheld. Those convictions can be a part of our, our, our daily living and our daily lives. Thank God there's some reason in there to follow these biblical values, because once we take this away, once we say anybody can interpret anything the way they want to interpret, our land will just be falling apart. It, it's why we're as far as we are in that area. And Daniel says, nope. That's not where I'm going. And our culture, though, says, you know, you can just choose what you want to do. Here's my encouragement to you. If you have to make a choice, choose convictions over comfort. Choose your convictions over comfort. Because understand, it is not your God-given right to be comfortable. It is not your God-given right to be happy. That's not, that's not a part of the equation. And yet many of us think, well, yeah, doesn't the Bible say that? It does not say that at all. We need to choose to follow convictions. And the convictions of God's word make it plain and simple. In so many cases, unless you base your convictions upon Scripture, then they will be evolving as they were in this day and age, as they even are in our day and age as well. Choose it now. What's going to be your trump card? What's the card that says, no, this is not the step I'm going. This is what wins out. Because look what happens in verse 10. We know what Daniel's trump card is because he comes and he says, says now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and what? And he prayed. Three times. Now, peer pressure was trying to get him to go another way. Fear of being enthron- thrown into a lion's den was trying to get him to go another way. And I, I mentioned peer pressure because peer pressure is one of the strongest pressures, sociologists will tell us, one of the strongest pressures that will keep you from doing things. And think about this in your own life. Tomorrow when you go to work, someone says something that's contrary to what you believe. Do you step up and say differently? N- not trying to get in their face, just politely, w- w- with tact and respect, say, you know, that's not what I believe. You know, that's not what I learned in my church. You know, that's not what I learned through God's word. Because you, you, you now fear others saying, well, he's just a holy roller. Well, well, she's just, oh, the religious one. And they kind of back away. And you know what that is? That, that, that's peer pressure. That's peer pressure to kind of step back and not step out for what you believe. Look at this one of our theme verses here in 2018, 1 Peter 3.15. In fact, would you read this verse with me when it comes up here on the screen? Because I know it's coming up. There it is. Would you read this with me? Go. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see that? Gentleness and respect. It's said about Daniel, he did things with wisdom and tact. Gentleness and respect. I think he did that to a T. As I said, sociologists and studies have even proven this. That the single biggest influencer of human behavior... Peer pressure. And no one's immune. I mean, you might have kids, or you might be here, and you might be younger, and you might be in grammar school or junior high school, and you kind of feel like, you know, the clothes that you wear need to be a certain type of clothing so that you can fit in with certain people. You don't want to wear certain things because people laughed at you wearing those kinds of things. Maybe you're on a a sports team. 
And everyone else is taking PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs. And so you decide, i got to do it to keep up as well. That's peer pressure. Some of you may have bought a car, maybe even bought a house in a certain location. Maybe it's outside your range, but you did it because you were worried about other people thinking that you couldn't afford it. You worried about what they would think about it. That's all peer pressure, and it affects so many of our decisions. In fact, there was one interesting study. It was called the Ash Experiment, where um, there was a classroom in college where a professor walked into the classroom. There was about 10 students in the classroom, and he said this. He says, today we're going to be looking at people's perception and their depth perception of sorts. And so he said, let me show you some lines. And so here's what he pulled out in his class, and he put this up on the uh, PowerPoint presentation before him. And... um, Uh, here's what he said. He said, now, which line, A, B, or C, is closest to the reference in size? You would answer what? C. Okay, here's how the experiment went, though. In that classroom, there were nine students who were in on it. He had already talked with them to tell them to say, when he asked the question, that it was B. One student was not in on it. That was the one that was being experimented on to see what would they say when it came to their turn. And so the professor pulled it out, said, okay, which is closest to C, or which is closest to the reference, and one by one, each of the other ones said, oh, I think it's B. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of an optical illusion. You know, it's, yeah, it looks like it could be this, but no, it's B. Another one said, definitely, definitely, I, I think it's B. it's B. One by one by one by one. When it came down to the last person to answer, get this, 75% of the people said, uh, yeah, it's, it's B. Instead of knowing it was C, they knew it was C, but peer pressure caused them to say B. Three out of four, 75% of the college students gave in to peer pressure, were not able to stand up and say right is right and wrong is wrong. Peer pressure, the single biggest influencer on human behavior, way more influential even than a lion's den. So you know what combats peer pressure? Again, studies will prove this out. Deeply internalized values. In other words, convictions. And do you know how deeply internalized values or convictions are instilled in someone's life? Parents, you got to get this, drill this into your kids. Kids, understand this. When you get older, you got to have this in place. Older adults, grandparents, drill this in. Here it comes. One word will help you develop strong convictions in life. You ready for it? Discipline. Discipline. Yeah, it's not one that we stand up and be like, yeah, I love that word, right? It's not. It's hard. But it is the second point that I have in there, and that's this. Choose discipline over disorder. Choose discipline over disorder. And understand, we're all disciplined in in some way. Even if you think that you are not, you are disciplined in some way. If you hold a job, you have discipline. If, If you work out at all, You are disciplined. If you like to read, you are disciplined to do that. If you like to eat, 
you're even disciplined in that. You cook the food to be able to eat. We're disciplined where we want to be. And what the New Testament says, what Timothy says, he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, discipline yourself for the purpose of what? Of godliness. Use those disciplines to do godly things. And I would hope that we would be a church that would say, okay, we're not going to run from discipline. We're going to put it into practice because look what happens here. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, goes on to say this. It says, three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Now watch this. This is so key. This is something I bet your kindergarten teacher did not tell you on the flannel graph. Here it is. Watch this now. Just as he had done before. There's a huge lesson in there. That's not to be swept over. That's not to just read through and go to the next verse and such. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Remember, he's an older man now. He's 83 years of age. And if he prayed three times a day for 80-something years, do you know how many prayers he would have prayed? Over 90,000 prayers he would already have been praying. 90,000 prayers he would have already prayed, which tells me this is just a habit he has had in his life that he is continuing to put into practice. And those small habits add up, just as he had done before for eight decades. Why would he do anything differently now? Nope. I'm just going to continue to pray. This is not a struggle for him. It's what he's always done. So it's not hard. It's what he did before the lion's den, before he had to go in the lion's den. See, some of you say, ah, that discipline, man, that that is tough. I I don't like that word. And if I try and do it and I fail, then I feel guilty. It's just not for me. Let me go back to one of my life verses. And it's out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I've taught this before. In fact, we could do a whole message series on this. But let me look at this. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, would you read it with me? Read it. Go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, now watch this. I, I, I want to look at just the first line. And in fact, it's just the second part of the first line. Introduction, I urge you, brothers, all that's good. But watch this. In view of God's mercy. That's why we do everything else that we do. In view of God's mercy. And when you put disciplines into your life, you don't do them to earn God's favor. You don't earn them, do them to earn God's mercy. It's in view of God's mercy. God's mercy is already on us. We have already been blessed with his mercy. He has already given us his grace. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we do disciplined things because we're trying to earn his approval, because we're trying to just get it right. Instead of saying, God, in view of your mercy, thank you. Thank you. And start there. See, when you begin with thanks, then you can see God for his mercy he has given to you. You're aware of it. Then you have a more godly lifestyle. And and watch the circle. Watch the pattern. You give thanks... 
for his mercy, you're aware of his mercies, then you live a more godly lifestyle. So you give more thanks. So you're aware of his mercy. So you live a more godly lifestyle. And it just circles, circles, circles. It also goes the other way. When we don't thank him for what he's done, then we are not aware of his mercy. And then we don't live the godly lifestyle that he wants us to live. It's one of the big reasons that we're going to be talking about grace this fall. You heard it, saw the announcement, you saw the video, we're encouraging you, sign up for those groups. I will tell you this as well, if you want to talk about discipline, most people will say that when you do something six times, then you begin to form a habit. And so that's why we encourage you to get into one of those groups, and it actually meets for about six weeks. Just make a commitment. Yes, as a family, we're going to do this together. Yes, I'm going to be committed, I'm going to make this happen. Take that step. Discipline yourself to do that. I encourage you to sign up there today. Let me keep going. Let me finish the story. Daniel, again, wasn't praying now because he was in trouble. He's praying because this is what he does. This is how he overcomes difficult situations every day. Not just because the situation came, because he's always done that. And so it goes on to say that when King Darius's royal administrators heard what Daniel was doing, that he was still praying, they run and they tell the king, and King Darius does not want to feed Daniel to the lions, but he realizes he made the law, he has to follow through with it, so, so, and, and that, which is an interesting point. We can't even get into all that, but the king respected Daniel. He didn't want to have to do this. In fact, he was thinking about, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? But his little henchmen were saying, nope, law is law. You got to do it. And so the king says, all right, throw him into the lion's den. And then the king goes to bed that night, but he cannot sleep. And at dawn, he wakes up. He goes to the lion's den, and he yells, Daniel, servant of the living God. Now, isn't that an interesting thing that he knew? He knew Daniel was a servant of the living God. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you continually serve, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? And there's silence as Daniel is waking up. Stretch. Ah. Looks to his left, looks to his right. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Right? He's made friends with them. At least that's what I remember seeing on my flannel graph in kindergarten, right? He's just standing there. He's cool. The lion's got lockjaw going on. They can't get that thing open. He's alive. And in verse 22, it says this. It says, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. I venture to say he might have even said, they, I couldn't even smell their breath overnight because their mouths were shut. He says, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And then he says, and king, by the way, I have not, go back one more verse here. By the way, I have not done anything wrong even to you. I've just done what my God wants me to do. Verse 23 goes on to say, And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And all this comes about because Daniel makes a decision. Last point, backside of the outline, last point is this. He makes a decision to choose love over life. Choose love over life. In other words, saying, God, you are bigger than my life. I mean, this, this is the theme with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in chapter 3 that we talked about a few weeks ago. They said, um, you know what, king? You can throw us in that fiery furnace. It's all right. Our God can save us. We know that. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to do what is right. It's the theme of Esther, if you know that book. Um, uh, I perish. If I perish, I perish. It's the theme of Jesus as he steps into our world. You know what? I don't have to survive. I'm choosing love. I'm choosing love for mankind. I'm choosing love for the people whom I love, over my life. I will die for them. You know, this is so interesting because the days, as we have said, are are changing in America. In fact, I've shared this for years, that there may be a day when I might be put in prison on a Sunday afternoon for something that I said here in the pulpit on Sunday morning. Um, it could be the homosexual issue. Issue. It could be another one, anything that gets labeled hate speech. Um, but you have to know, and I would pray that you would back me up on this as a church, that I would never shut my mouth to anything that is in here. Amen. And not be fearful of that. And I would hope, I would hope and pray that you would have the same convictions in your life as well. You know, I read an article this week in the Wall Street Journal that said the two groups of people who are persecuted the most on the college campuses are practicing Jews and Christians. Practicing Jews and Christians, most persecuted on the college campuses. And yet, you think about, in America, as compared to the world, it, it's still easier to be a Christian here in America. In other parts of the world, it is not. I remember reading an interview with a gentleman sharing a testimony. And he said, you know, I knew when I became a Christian that I could be persecuted, or I would be persecuted, and physically beaten. And here's what he said. I wrote this down. This is a quote. He said, it's hard to become a Christian in my country. But once you are one, it's really easy to stay one. Because he says you become ostracized. You become thrown out, cast out of your family. There's really no going back. And so you get together with the church. You get together with other Christians. It's, it's, it's hard to become one, but once you are, it's really easy to stay a Christian. Compare that to what, where we are in America today. Because I'd venture to say it's easy to become a Christian, but it's hard to really be one. Think about what that means for you at your work. Do people know you are? Do they, they know he kind of goes to church on Sundays and he does it, but, but, you know, he's one of us. He, he talks like us. He acts like us. He does everything else. Or do you stand up for your convictions? Say right is right, wrong is wrong. And I'm going to live my convictions. I'm going to live it out daily in my life. And people are going to see me and they're going to know that I follow Jesus. More of us need to have the I don't need to survive kind of mentality that Daniel had. 
that says, I will choose convictions over comfort. I will choose discipline over disorder. I will choose love over life. In fact, in fact, Daniel's godly influence influenced the king because the king wrote a decree. Watch what he says, 26 and 27. He says, I, the king, issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of who? The God of Daniel. This is the true God. It says he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has uh, rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And that theme right there, if you've been in on this series with us, that theme is, is throughout every story I've told you so far. That by the end of the story, the king does a turn. The king says, wow, he's brought you through this uh, with the temptations with the food. Wow, he's brought you through the fire. Wow, he's brought you out of the lion's den. And every one of those, he said, okay, your God is the true God. It, 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 really, no, your God is the one. And what, he, what, what they're saying there is this theme that God reigns, God rules, God's in control. But I think it's kind of interesting that that thought has to keep getting reintroduced because it keeps getting forgotten. Am I right on that? I mean, if one king passed it down to another king, passed it down to another king, they wouldn't have to keep saying it. But it keeps getting reintroduced because it keeps being forgotten. And the kings are saying, no, I'm in charge. No, I'm in control. And Daniel has to go through this from age 15 to age 83. He's already been through three kings. He's going through a fourth here now with King Cyrus is the next one coming in. And we could say, honestly, we could say a lot has evolved in culture. But Daniel stayed true to his God because Daniel, when he prays three times a day, his views are not going to evolve. When you pray and when you read God's word, when you come here to church, when you get involved in a community group, when you surround yourself in those ways, then when you're out in the lion's den, then when you're out in the real world, and we want you to be out in the real world, we want you to have a witness out there, but your views don't evolve, you don't become like a chameleon because you become strengthened and stronger. Three times a day on knees, three times a day probably in God's word, reading, understanding. He would go to the temple, he would, he would come around with other people. Well, he didn't have a temple there in Babylon, but he would come around with other Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would strengthen one another. Those were such important times, and we can pull those principles away because, let me end right here, you stay strong in the lion's den because of what you do before the lion's den. Amen? Let me say it one more time. You stay strong in the lion's den because of what you do before the lion's den. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for the truth that we can share. Lord, I do thank you for our land that we have, that we can share this truth, that we can have our godly convictions. Lord, I, I thank you for a government that in all has protected those, but Lord, there's such an undercurrent, there's such a flow that's going against your word now that we have to be so careful. We have to stand up for your word and for what is right. Lord, let us be wise and discerning, not about bipartisan type politics, but Lord, let us be wise and discerning to what your word says to us. 
And God, may we put the godly disciplines in place, into practice. Not just when the big situations come and we have to, but Lord, the everyday occurrences that take place. That we would be godly men and women. Godly young people who would stand up and know your truth and live your truth out. Lord, may your spirit strengthen us even as it strengthened Daniel. God, I thank you for his convictions. I thank you for his choices that he made. May we be strengthened by that. And I thank you that we do not have to do this alone. You have sent your Holy Spirit to be the one to help us. And Lord, you have sent others in this church. As we look across this packed auditorium, God, we can gain encouragement for one another. That even though the days may be turning, God, we are not. Even though the days may be evolving, we don't. Because we are steadfast upon your word and your mercy and your grace. God, we love you above all else. May we love you in this church. May we love you outside of this church. May we be your church in this community. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.